0: The rest of you to take copies of your scripture this morning, turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 34, beginning in verse 29, and as you are able out of respect and reverence for God's word, would you stand as we read God's word together, Exodus 34, verse 29 through verse 35. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, And Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face was shining, and Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Almighty, gracious Father. Since our whole salvation depends on our true understanding of your holy word, grant that our hearts, free from worldly affairs, may hear and understand your holy word with all diligence and faith, so that we may rightly discern your gracious will, cherish it, and live by it with all earnestness. To your praise and honor, through our Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Maybe be seated. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. The very first thing that God called into existence by the word of the Lord was light. The light was separated from darkness. The light God called day and darkness, the Lord named night. Such an act of naming shows that God has authority over both light and darkness. Authority over day and night. Oddly and perplexingly to us, that which we use to distinguish day and night was not created until day four. There we read, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars, Genesis 1, 16 through 18. These two great lights we know to be the sun and the moon. What is fascinating about these is that there are degrees, aren't there? One is greater than the other. The sun, the greater light. The moon, the lesser light. One is of more substance. The sun and the moon, as we think about them, show great distinction, though, don't they? Because we know there to be only one source of light. The moon, in and of itself, is not a source of light. If you took the moon and separated it from everything else, the moon would not shine. Where does the moon get its light? from the sun. The moon's light is only a reflective light. There is nothing in it inherently that makes it shine. But even on a very clear night, when the moon is full and perhaps we would say shining brightly, we might even see our shadow. Have you ever been outside on a clear night and seen your shadow? from the light of the moon it is appropriate that we are introduced to light in the beginning of creation because we are told in god's word this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that god is light and in him is no darkness at all john one five the defining property or one of the defining properties of god is that god is light james 1:17 says this every good and every perfect gift is from above coming down from who from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change everything else might change in the world might change around you you will even change but god as the father of lights never changes he is the source of light His light is always constant, always faithful. And then in 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16, we're told this. He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in what? Unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. So not only is God light, not only is his light light, unchanging, not only does he dwell in unapproachable light, it is light that is necessary for our life. It is light that is necessary for human activity and human flourishing. Think about how much you and I daily depend upon light. Often it's that thing that tells us to get up in the morning, and it's light We need to be the people who God created us to be. He gives light so that we might have life. No light, no life. We recently bought a basil plant. And we are trying to understand everything that we need to know to keep this plant alive. Try as we might to kill it, we're trying to keep it alive. (laughs) But it came with instructions. Of course it did. Everything comes with instructions nowadays. So, of course, the basil plant came with instructions. And here are the instructions for this basil plant. Very simple, very easy. Place in bright light and keep well watered. That's it. That's all we got to do. Sounds easy, right? Some way. We're going to mess it up. I just know it. Perhaps we wish that our kids came with instructions. You ever wish that if you're a parent? New parents might sometimes feel overwhelmed. They have been preparing for nine months, reading books, buying clothes, furniture, All the baby paraphernalia that's out there. The baby is finally born. There is joy. And then a day or two later, it hits them. Now what do we do? Are there any instructions for this little one? Might I suggest that the instructions for the basil plant might be good instructions for your little child? Keep in bright light, place in bright light, and keep them well watered. Not physically, but spiritually. For their spiritual benefit, place them in bright light and keep them well watered. And this is what the event in Exodus 34 teaches us. Something amazing, astounding, marvelous happens to Moses in Exodus 34 and it could be difficult to read about an event like this because we might think, how does this event that happened 3,000 years ago have anything to do with my life now today? Look at what happened to Moses. What a lucky duck. I wish something like that would happen to me. What we see with Moses serves as a type for how the Lord is going to work among His people throughout the ages. But as our lives follow this pattern, we need to now understand that the pattern that we follow has been elevated. So this morning, what I want us to see is that what happened to Moses is the pattern for all of God's people, but now, instead of thinking, wow, wasn't Moses lucky way back then, 3,000 years ago? Guess what? It's even better now. It's better for believers now. What we experience and what we know and what we participate in is better now than what Moses knew 3,000 years ago. And so let us first understand some truths from these verses. So these are the first three points, and then the next three points is the elevation, right? How it gets better for us. But first, these truths that we need to understand from these verses this morning. You can follow along in your bulletin if that's helpful for you. Number one, God's glory is reflected. God's glory is reflected. Just like the moon... Reflects the glory, the light of the sun. So Moses is going to reflect the very glory of God. Here is Moses descending from Mount Sinai. And think about this this isn't the first time that Moses has come down from the mountain, it's the second time. The first time he came down from the mountain, Moses was confronted with Israel's egregious sin and apostasy. The last time Moses came down from the mountain he had thrown the two tablets out of his hands broke them at the foot of the mountain but now he comes down from the mountain he keeps the tablets in his hands. They're firmly fixed in his hands and they have changed. Remember that Moses took up with him these two blank tablets up the mountain. Now he comes down with these tablets, and do you see how they've changed here? With the two tablets of testimony. As testimonies, they serve to remind the people of the covenant the Lord had made with them, which was solemnly acknowledged by an oath. They were visual reminders that they were married to Yahweh. They were like the rings of a marriage covenant. So Moses brought these tablets of testimony down saying, remember, you are living in relationship with the Lord, and He with you. Something else had changed, though. The very appearance of Moses had also changed. The very skin, it says, of his face shone. The word here is a very unusual word. Literally, it is horn. That word shone is horn. Like those horns that might protrude from an animal's head. Some even have thought that maybe this is saying that Moses grew horns. In fact, some paintings of Moses, I think of the painting of Moses on the Sistine Chapel. There, he's depicted as almost having horns or lights of ray coming out of his head, out of the top of his head. It appears, though, that this thought is not so much horns as it is a shining, a radiance that's coming from, it says there, the skin of his face. So these beams of light protruding, if you will, maybe like horns protruded, was this radiance of light that was emanating from the very face of Moses. Moses' face shone not because Moses was a source of light, but because he had been in the very presence of Him who is light and had seen a glimpse of His majestic glory. Moses' face shone, it says, because he had been talking with God. He had been communicating directly with God. He had asked, if you remember, to see God's glory. And so God, in His grace and His mercy had made his glory pass by Moses. But Moses could not intake the fullness of God's glory. He could not see God in all of his glory. The full, unadulterated glory of God is so potent that it would have killed Moses if he had seen it. It would kill anybody. No one could see the face of God and live. So Moses was placed in the cleft of the rock. God covered him with his hand to protect him from his own glory. And as God had passed by, after God had passed by, God removed his hand and Moses saw the backside of God's glory. The afterglow of God's glory. The after effects, if you will. How strong was this glimpse of the after effects of God's glory? Just think, Moses had not seen the full glory. He had just seen a glimpse of a part of God's glory. And that was so great and that was so intense that it radiated off of his own face. And now Moses' face shone. His face is shining with the very glory of God. And look at what happens to Moses. He doesn't even know it. He's oblivious to the fact. It's not like Moses has just been eating and has a speck of food on his face. Like when someone says to you, you know, you got a a glob of cheese on your chin. It's amazing how we get embarrassed so easily by that, don't we? Even if we're in our own family. Like if I get something on my face, a speck of food and... My wife tells me, hey, you got a little something on your face? I still get embarrassed by that. It's my own family, for goodness sake. Moses didn't have a speck of food on his face that he was oblivious to. His face was shining with the glory of God, and he was oblivious to it. So captivated was he by the awe of the glory that he had witnessed on the mountain. So enthralled was he with talking with God that Moses Forgot himself. Here's what the glory of God does the glory of God kills pride. One who knows, who experiences, and who has been confronted with God's glory is a humble and meek person. It even says that in the Pentateuch, in the first five books. Moses was the most humble man that ever lived. Why was Moses so humble? Because he has seen the glory of God like no one else has seen the glory of God. When you experience and know the glory of God, self-worship is out of the question. That is what pride is. You worshiping yourself. And let us be clear. Pride is a problem for us. Self-worship is a problem. We still struggle. But when you know the glory of God you know it to be an exclusive glory. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to you be glory because you are glorious. There's also this reaction from the people. They saw his face, and what happened when the people saw his face? They feared. They saw his face, and they feared. The first time Moses came down the mountain, Moses saw the people's sin and was angry. Now Moses came down and the people saw his face shining, and they feared. Feared to the point that they didn't want to come near him. Even the glory of God reflecting off of the face of Moses caused the people to be afraid. We can see this throughout the Bible. Adam and Eve had feared the approach of God after they had sinned. Moses feared to look upon God when he appeared in the burning bush. The people were afraid when God descended upon Mount Sinai. The awesome glory of God exhibits greatness, his holiness, his purity, his complete rejection of sin, his judgment upon sin, his complete otherness, so that we cannot and are totally unable to approach him. God's glory was reflected and the people feared. They were afraid to get close to it. But they were reminded of something very precious at the same time. While they were afraid, with the glory of God radiating off of Moses' face, they were reminded of something else. God had not left them. While they were afraid, God, in essence, was saying, I have not left you. I have not forsaken you. I am still here. Moses' face is a sign to you, is a reminder of my faithfulness. Moses' Face is a reminder of my graciousness and my mercy and my steadfast love. While it is appropriate to fear God's glory, there should also be a source of comfort that God has not left us, that God is faithful to us. So powerful was the projection of God's presence that was brought into the lives of the Israelites. It had an impact upon their lives. You cannot see God's glory, even God's glory, reflected and stay the same. It causes you to change. The glory of God is absolutely necessary for our life. We need God's glory, for without it we are undone and lost. It is the greatest blessing that can be upon God's people. This is why the Lord instructed Moses to have the priest say this blessing over the people. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. With the very glory of God comes the blessing of God upon his people. And so God's glory is reflected. But number two, God's word is verified. God's word is verified. God's word is verified. After everyone scattered from Moses, as it were, Moses called Aaron and the leaders of the congregation, and there it says something very interesting. And they, what, returned to him. Remember what Aaron had done before? Collected all the gold, thrown the gold into the fire, and out popped this calf. God is restoring. The sin of the people, even the sin of Aaron, and even the sin of the leaders of the nation. They are returning to Moses, and so in essence, returning to God's glory, returning to God himself. No return, no repentance, no change, no receptivity to the word of God. Returning to Moses was a returning to the glory of God, and was a returning to God himself. And as Moses then talked with the leaders of Israel the divine glow that was radiating from Moses' face confirmed and verified this was the word of the Lord they were receiving. Moses' face shining meant the people could recognize the authority of the messenger. This wasn't Moses' word. This wasn't any angel's word. This was God's word to the people. They had better listen to it. They had better pay attention to it. They had better obey it. There was no question, no doubting, no second guessing. God was giving his commands to his people through his chosen mediator, Moses. Look at his face. Look at the reflective glory. Is there reason to listen to this word? Is there reason to accept this word? Is there reason to think that this word is sufficient for what we need? Look at the glory. Yes, a thousand times yes, God's word is verified. It is the truth. It is a light and a lamp. How could you not look at the radiating face of Moses that shone forth the very glory of God and not say, Oh, how I delight in your law and and they are my meditations day and night. How readily many accept the word of man without much thought at all. Yet God's word lies ignored, denied, rejected, and despised, but not among God's people. We will not ignore God's word. We will not deny it. We will not reject it. We will not despise it. We will let it into our lives. Because we know what it will do. Number three, God's people are sanctified. God's people are sanctified. The people sanctified is closely associated with holiness. So God's people are being made holy through this process. They are being set apart. They are becoming, as the Lord's promised people, a holy nation. What happened with Moses and the Lord and then Moses and the people would become a regular occurrence. Moses would go regularly before the Lord and speak with the Lord. And when he would talk with Yahweh, he would remove the veil from his face. So you see that there. After he would finished speaking with the people in verse 33, he put a veil over his face. But then Moses would continue to talk with the Lord in the tent of meeting, later the tabernacle. And when he went in to talk with the Lord, he would remove the veil from his face until he came out. Then he would tell the people what he was commanded, still with an unveiled face. Again, they would receive God's word, verified. And then he would put the veil back over his face. It was through this process, this regular occurrence, that God was working in His people to draw them to Himself. He wanted them to see the reflective glory, to hear the verified word through Moses. And then He wanted them to obey. Why did they get to see Moses' face? Why did they get to hear these commands? Because God wanted them to obey the commands. He wanted them to live a certain way. It wasn't just like, thanks for all of the words. Thanks for the show. Thanks for the song and dance, Moses. Moses. Moses told them God's word to change them, to make them into the people that God wanted them to be. And then he put the veil back over his face. Probably for a couple reasons. One, because he recognized the people's weakness. They could not continue to look at his face like that all the time. They were weak. But what's interesting is that Paul picks up on another reason. So, turning your Bibles to 2 Corinthians for a moment. 2 Corinthians 3. We're going to finish out our time in 2 Corinthians, so it'll be helpful to be there just so you can reference verses. 2 Corinthians 3.13. Why else did Moses put a veil over his face? Paul says this, Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Paul says, Moses put a veil over his face because Moses did not want the people to know that as he, Moses, moved away from the time that he talked with the Lord, that glory on his face that was radiating forth would diminish would decrease, would lessen, would fade away. That was the problem with the law. That was the problem with the old covenant. There was glory with the law. There was glory with the old covenant. There was glory with what? God had told the people there on Mount Sinai, but guess what? It was not a permanent glory. It was a glory that was going to diminish, that was going to fade away, that even as Paul says, would come to an end. But God did something else. God brought another covenant, a new covenant. And with this new covenant comes a greater glory, a lasting glory, a permanent glory. A glory that will never fade away. A glory that will never diminish. A glory that will never fade. A glory that would eclipse that glory of the old covenant. It is a brighter glory, a more intense glory, a permanent glory. It's the glory that comes with Jesus Christ himself. And so this is now where it's elevated for us, dear Christian. 1A, God's glory reflected is the glory of Christ. God's glory reflected is the glory of Christ. John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have what? Seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace grace. And truth. Or Hebrews 1, 3. He is the radiance. That's Jesus Christ. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Or hold your fingers there in 2 Corinthians 3. And flip over back to John 12. John 12. Verses. 39 and following. Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. Verse 41. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Who is that? Whose glory did Isaiah see? Who did Isaiah speak of? Isaiah. Remember his vision in Isaiah 6? Of the Lord seated on his throne in the temple, and the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. Whose glory did Isaiah see? He saw Christ's glory. Moses could only reflect God's glory, but Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory. He is the source of the glory of God. It is the glory of Christ we long to see and know. And guess what? It gets better because we don't have to look to Moses' shining face. We now look to the face of Jesus. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give what? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where? In the face of Jesus Christ. You want to know the glory of God? You look to the face of Jesus Christ. That's where you're going to see it. That's where it's going to be the Brightest nowhere else. And guess what? It's a permanent, lasting glory greater than any glory you could ever imagine. So great would that glory be that if you were in it, unadulterated, with no protection, you would die. The glory of Christ shines in His face. The lasting face of our Savior. What other face would you want to see? What other face would you long to see? When my wife walked down that aisle on our wedding day with a veil over her face, it was glorious to remove the veil from her face so I could see her face in all of its glory. There is coming a day when we will see Jesus' face With new eyes and a new heart and a new mind, and it will be far greater than anything you or I have ever known, ever, ever, ever. Where do we see this glory? 2A, I think, is what it says in your bulletin God's word verified is the gospel. God's word verified is the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, four. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of unbelievers. Oh, what an awful, horrible state that is. That there is a God of this world who would blind the mind of unbelievers. Lord, we pray that, that there would be no veil over the minds of unbelievers. That that would be lifted. What is that? Blindedness do to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of what? Of the glory of Christ. The gospel is the display of Christ's glory. And where does that shine the brightest? The glory of the cross. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The glory of the cross where Christ took all of our sin upon himself, where he died, where he gave up his spirit to his Father, where he said, it is finished. The place where where Christ purchased our redemption, the place where Christ forgave us of our sins, the place where Christ reconciled us back to God, the place where Christ made us at peace with God again. The glory of the cross is the glory of the gospel, is the glory of Jesus Christ. This is why we want to be a gospel-centered church, because we want to always uphold the gospel so that you can gaze upon the glory of Jesus If we lose sight of the gospel, we lose sight of Christ's glory. We are gospel-centered because we are glory-hungry. Hungry for His glory. It fills us, it envelops us, and it's meant to change us, finally. God's people are sanctified by the Spirit. God's people are sanctified by the Spirit. So you see this progression here. The glory of Christ, how is the glory of Christ made known? It's made known through the gospel. And so then as we hear this gospel, the Spirit is so working in our lives to change us and sanctify us and make us more holy and make us more like Jesus Christ. This is 2 Corinthians 3, 18. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's no veil over our face. The veil has been lifted We're beholding the glory of the Lord. And then what? We're being transformed into the same image. What image is that? The image of Jesus Christ. We're being made like the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. So we are in this progression. Have we been given glory? Yes, from Christ. And this glory continues to be greater and greater and greater until one day, what? We are finally and fully glorified. And I fear, we, we think about this sometimes, this sanctification, like we're going to the tanning booth. Like you're walking down the street in Peru and you're going to Jamaica Me Tan. Clever, <laughs> clever. clever, clever name. But we think, I'm just going to bask in God's glory. I'm just going to bask in the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm just going to kind of put myself in position just to kind of like lay there and let the beams of the gospel and the ble- the beams of Jesus Christ kind of like radiate on me and then then boom I'm going to be a shade darker than I was before I went in Here's what happens in reality In reality you come and you hear the gospel, you hear the word of truth, you see, then, through that hearing, the glory of Christ, and something changes in your heart. The sinful desires that you once had are diminishing, are changing. The words that you once wanted to say are no longer the same words that you want to say anymore. The thoughts that you once thought, the sinful thoughts, are no longer the sinful thoughts that you want to keep on thinking. The things that you used to do, you no longer want to do those things anymore. You want to live your life for Jesus Christ. The glory of Christ changes us because we see, day by day, moment by moment, Sunday by Sunday, the greater glory of Jesus Christ, and that glory, that light, penetrates into our hearts, and it shows us all the areas of darkness. And when the light shines upon that, we don't run away from it. We say, no, conform that area, my Lord. Conform it to your word. Conform it to your will. Make me more like Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another by the work of your Spirit. So we place ourselves in the bright light of Jesus' glory, through the gospel, keeping ourselves well watered with the word for that day in the future that we read about in Revelation 21, verse 23. And that city, that city is the new Jerusalem, our eternal home, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Why? For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is what? The Lamb. One day, full, unadulterated glory forever in heaven. When we are finally like Christ, because we will see Him as He truly is. Let's pray. Take a moment as we meditate upon the word that we've just heard this morning. Father, I pray that not only would we have heard the gospel this morning, but that we would have seen the glory of Christ. Father, and if there's one thing that I forgot, it's the call. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. All who see their need for change, all who need to be made new, all who are shackled by their sin, all who are in misery and shame, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Trust in Him. He will save you. He will save you. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It's only the name of Jesus. So, Father, if there is someone here today who has not put their faith and trust in Him and in Him alone today, draw that one to yourself. Let them return. Restore them, make them new. Let them repent of their sin and cast that off. And may they see. May they no longer be blinded by the God of this world. But may they see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Christ.